Are you sitting in a space where you are struggling with anxiety? Do you feel like a prisoner to the cycles of depression? Do you feel stuck in your own life and feel frustrated and lost, but yet you know there is so much more on the other side of this mental breakdown? I want to hold your hand through this therapeutic life healing journey. I will help you navigate emotional healing, spiritual growth, and taking massive action so you can align your mind, body, and spirit to completely transforming your life. You are worthy of the life of your dreams, of stepping into your power and experiencing your breakdown as your breakthrough. Hey, I'm Adi. I'm your therapist, your coach, your mentor. Join me as we heal your life together. Hello, everybody. I want to welcome our next guest. And I am so fortunate and so blessed that I get to call this person a dear friend of mine since I've known since the fifth grade and I've got to see her blossom in her career. She's a best friend of mine and she is someone who is on the front lines right now helping so many people and she's been doing that for the last eight years plus. She's a hospital physician here in Northern California. Her name is Dr. Carolyn Overham and she is here today because she is passionate and she's a caring doctor with her heart in the right place who's on the front lines and really wants to get the message and the word out from a medical standpoint of what coronavirus COVID-19 is. Welcome, Dr. Carolyn. Thank you for having me. So what is on everyone's mind right now is what is coronavirus? What is COVID-19 from your medical standpoint? Can you define that for us? Yes. So coronavirus has been around for a long time. And as with many other viruses, there's different strains of the virus. The particular one that we care about at this time is coronavirus 19 or COVID-19. This strain is what we call virulent, meaning that it is causing more severe symptoms in people than your typical strain of coronavirus, which prior to this has just really been associated with a common cold. They believe this bat first originated in, in bats. And the bat likely infected a animal called a pangolin, which is found in China. And this animal is sold in meat markets. So I know everyone probably has heard of Wuhan, China, and the the first cases of COVID-19 came from those meat markets through infected animals that then infected a human. And since that time, this virus is now being transmitted person to person. The virus is transmitted in the air particles, Um, so when a person coughs or sneezes, they release these air particles, and if someone is standing near them, then they can ingest these particles, or if they settle on somebody's mucous membranes, then you can get infected. Now, the key here is that the virus can only travel up to six feet, so if you're standing right next to a person and they sneeze on you or in your face or cough in your face, then those particles are being directly transmitted onto you. But if you're standing, say, seven, eight, ten feet away from someone and someone sneezes, you're not going to get that virus on you. That virus just falls to the ground and dies. On the same token, if somebody coughs or sneezes in their hand, for example, and then touches a doorknob, an elevator knob, counters, tables, chairs, then that virus can live on that surface for anywhere from four hours to 72 hours. And uh, if you come along and you happen to touch that same surface that the virus is currently on and you don't wash your hands before you eat or you rub your eyes or rub your nose, then you are directly putting that particle in your body. 
you know, and then the severity of the illness kind of depends on you and what type of host that you are for the virus. You know, majority of people will have very mild symptoms from this, but some people will have very severe symptoms, and those are the people that we're really focusing on at this time. Wow, thank you so much for really giving us a clear understanding of where this virus started, how it is spread, and how critical that each person is in this matter right now to slow it down. Can you share a little bit about the symptoms and how people can differentiate between the common cold? We've been hearing people say, oh, this is just a flu. How will people be able to know and when should they seek medical attention if they believe they might have COVID-19? Very good questions. You know, the flu or as we know, as influenza A or B, most typically the people present with fevers, body aches and pains. Sometimes people have a cough, but not always. Some people may experience nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea. But really with the flu, you just kind of feel down and out. Uh, and, you know, in the flu, it can be dangerous in some people, you know, some people that have underlying lung issues or have their immune system that aren't very strong. But what we're seeing is that on average, it's a less than 1% chance of dying from flu complications. Now, COVID-19 presents more so with fever, a dry cough not a lot of mucus coming out, kind of a profound fatigue. And then less commonly, people will have issues with sore throat and sneezing. Very few people will have GI issues like the nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. But predominantly what we're seeing with COVID-19 is the fever, the dry cough, and the fatigue. And like I was saying earlier, you know, 80% of people that get COVID-19 are going to feel like this might just be the flu or it might just be a common cold. And there's no real definitive way of knowing unless you get tested. And right now, testing isn't that available. So we're not going to be able to test every single person. There's a 20% of the population, though, that are going to have more severe symptoms with this. And specifically, it's going to be more your respiratory symptoms, meaning you're going to feel shorter breath. You're going to feel like you can't breathe. And 5% of those people are actually going to be so severe that they're going to require uh, an intensive care unit where they need to be put on a machine called a ventilator so that machine can do the breathing for them. And remember, with COVID-19, as with any other virus, we don't have a treatment for it because viruses are such that antibiotics aren't going to do anything for them. And as of right now, you know, different from the flu, we don't have a vaccine for it and we don't have Tamiflu, which is something that we give as a prescription to help ease the symptoms of the flu. We don't have that option right now with COVID-19. And so it really is just a lot of supportive care in the hospital, trying to support the body's ability to breathe and supporting any other organ system that may shut down. And another important thing is cardiovascular. So some people's heart will stop because the infection overwhelms their body. And that is how people are dying. Now, the death rate from COVID-19 so far from all the data that we're getting internationally from China, Italy, South Korea, Japan, who kind of look at it from a cumulative perspective, the death rate right now is anywhere from 3 to 5%. And remember, I said from the flu, it's less than 1% chance of dying. So the COVID-19 is about 30 times more fatal than the flu is. 
And just to kind of go back a little bit in terms of the symptoms, so a lot of people can walk around uh, with no symptoms, even if they've been infected with the virus. They could walk around with no symptoms from anywhere from four days up to 14 days. So just because you feel okay, if you've had an exposure to someone with COVID-19, you are at risk of developing. And while you're in the process of developing that infection, you are infecting others. Wow, what a wonderful breakdown of how this differentiates between other viruses that are out there that have cures or have a vaccine or have a medication and the level of severity. Who is at risk? Who is the most vulnerable population that you are worried about, that your colleagues are worried about? So right now we're seeing, you know, anyone is susceptible to getting viral infections. Thankfully, we're not seeing any uh, such cases in little children, which is great. That doesn't mean that they can't be carriers of this virus, but we're really not seeing serious disease in them. You know, there is a good number of the population, if we look at different graphs and charts that the CDC and the WHO is putting out, that younger people in their 20s and 30s are carrying this virus. But again, they're not having those severe symptoms. So they're going to be the ones that are at home with the fever and the chills and the cough and just, you know, just feeling like you have a, a cold or the flu, but you're not really having such bad symptoms. The ones that we worry about at this time is anyone over the age of 60 and anyone younger than 60 that has chronic conditions. And what do I mean by chronic? So people that have chronic heart disease, chronic lung disease like asthma or emphysema, people with cancer who are undergoing treatment, people with liver disease or kidney disease on dialysis. All of these people have immune systems that are compromised and their bodies in general, are not very good at fighting off infections. And this particular virus is proving to be very fatal in these groups. And so right now, the the best thing that we can do for our loved ones, who we all know people who are older, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, friends, the best thing that you can try to do to help prevent this disease from spreading is to, one, wash your hands, but two, stay home. It's really important right now that people understand how this virus is transmitted. And like I said before, it's that six feet rule. It's that social distancing, as I'm sure you've heard uh, on the news or in media. It's about being far away from people such that this virus doesn't have a chance of being transmitted from one person to the next. I mean, the statistics are there. We're seeing that for every one person infected, they will infect two other people. So in a two-day period, you're going to have double the rates of the infected cases. What does this mean? You're talking about in a couple of weeks, you're infecting hundreds of people just from one person being infected. And I'm sure other people that are on social media have also been hearing this term, quote, flattening the curve. And what does this mean? This means that right now, we're past the stage of trying to contain this virus. That ship has sailed because initially it was just international travelers coming back that we were worried about that had this virus and we were trying to contain them in various locations to try to prevent the spread. But now we're seeing more and more community cases that are coming into the hospital. So this means this is a virus that's already out in the public and people can be infecting others. The idea of flattening the curve is such that want people 
to decrease that community spread. So by staying home and essentially quarantining yourself for a couple of weeks, you are minimizing your chance of acquiring that virus and in turn by infecting other people with the virus. So over the next few weeks, the hope is that the number of new cases of COVID-19 is going to go down by dramatically, hopefully by about 40%, so that the virus can die off. Because we know that the virus will only stay in a person's body for anywhere up to 14 days. In some rare cases with people that are severely infected, it can go up to 30 days. But if we can just try to minimize the number of new cases that are occurring, we can try to curb the, the pandemic as much as possible. And I know that you and I have talked about this offline, you and I, just about the impact that this virus has, COVID-19, and the importance of social distancing as well as quarantining, and we can, you can break down the two. But what you had told me had really struck me is that there's other things that continue to happen for people on the day-to-day. People are coming still to the hospital for a heart attack. People are coming in for their additional treatments, and this is now really the influx that's happening in the hospitals. Can you speak a little bit to why flattening the curve is important and kind of including when hospitals are getting overwhelmed? It's not to scare anybody particularly, but I think there is some level of when we are afraid, we should be paying attention a little bit more and taking heed to seeing what patterns played out and are playing out currently in our ability to control. Can you share a little bit about your thoughts? I mean, we have to keep in mind right now for us before this whole COVID-19 started, the winter and early springtime is a very busy time in the hospital because we have all of our other patients coming in with, for example, influenza. But like you said, you know, every day we have patients in the hospital that have everything else that happens in life, heart attacks, strokes, people in kidney failure, people in multi-organ failure, people with accidents or traumas coming in. So it's not that normal day-to-day life has stopped happening, but what's happening right now is that we're getting an influx of these patients with COVID-19 symptoms who are in severe respiratory distress, and it is overwhelming the healthcare system, and that is a, that is a fact and we are trying everything we can in the hospital to try to offset some of this, these issues. But we have a finite number of resources. We have, you know, the number of doctors, nurses, respiratory therapists, all the workers in the hospital, you know, those numbers aren't increasing. And in fact, when one uh, person in healthcare gets infected or possibly infected, they too have to be put in quarantine for two weeks until the disease can be ruled out. So you're taking out people from the workforce that are on those front lines. So it is a matter of uh, making sure that we're taking care of ourselves so that we can take care of people in the, in the community. And so when people are not listening to the evidence that's being put out there and not heeding the advice of professionals to stay home and to help us to uh, mitigate this disease, it's going to have a very detrimental effect on those that are sickest in our populations. And as we're seeing in Italy, you know, the hospital systems there are so overwhelmed and they don't have enough of those ventilators to put people on in case they're, they stop breathing on their own, that they're literally having to choose who gets to live and who gets to die. 
And I got to tell you, as a doctor, that is never a choice you want to make. And unfortunately, they're being faced with that decision right now. And that's not something we want to do here in America. And we have this opportunity to really try to put things down before they get out of control or even more out of control than they are now. But it's not just up to us because we can only do what we can do in the hospital. This really has to be a nationwide effort to to try to stop the spread of this disease. Because if we can really flatten the curve in terms of the number of new cases that are occurring, then our hospital systems will not be overwhelmed by the number of people coming in with this with these illnesses. And that's really critical. And just to speak to that point for a second, you know, who should be seen if you if you have symptoms? You know, if you have a fever and a cough and are otherwise feeling okay, like you're breathing okay, you're eating and drinking okay, please do not come to the hospital. Please do not go to the clinic. You can call your doctor and let them know that these are the symptoms that you're having and get further guidance on whether or not you should be seen. But in general, the only people that should be coming to the hospital is if you're having fevers, coughs, and you can't breathe or you can't hold down any food or water because you're at risk of dehydration. But other than that, please do not come into the hospital because we're not going to be able to keep you there. First of all, if your symptoms are not very serious, but also you're risking the exposure of other people by being there. You know, I think the the biggest thing that we can think about right now is don't be selfish. This isn't about you. This isn't about the vacation you planned or that party you were trying to throw. All of these things do not matter in the long run. We all just need to do our part, pitch in, stay home to to try to stop this disease from spreading because it could be, you know, your loved one, that's the next one that's affected by this and has has to be in the hospital and be treated. And nobody wants that for their loved one. I really appreciate you speaking to that. What I really hear is a social responsibility that we who are in a lower risk population must adhere to. And again, I think a little bit of being afraid is needed and necessary at this time, not to panic and go buy all the toilet paper because grocery stores, as we know, are restocking and there are people who need formula for their children and panic doesn't help anybody. Uh, However, there is a social responsibility. So the social distancing, staying quarantined if you are sick, meaning do not have contact, call out sick from work if you're still having to go in is there anything, Dr. Overham, that we as a society can do to help at this point? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, at this point, I would say there's a ton of stuff out there. There's a ton of information out there on social media and the news. And I would just caution people to really not just listen to every single person who has commentary about this disease. I think you need to go to reputable resources like go to the CDC.com or the WHO for the latest information about this. You know, various governments are putting out restrictions, closing down restaurants, bars, sports events, and the such. And I think that this is all critical because everyone understands how important it is right now that we try to 
get ahead of this virus as much as we possibly can. Otherwise, we are going to end up in a situation such as China and Italy where everything is just shut down and everyone has to be quarantined in their homes for the foreseeable future. So this is what we're trying to to prevent. Now, I think the biggest thing that you can do is, one, wash your hands. 20 seconds with soap and water is what you need to do. If you don't have that or if you have hand sanitizer at home, please use that. And then secondly, stay at home, especially if you're feeling sick. If you're starting to come down with something, please don't go to work. California has now increased their paid family leave to eight weeks. The government is also, the federal government is also helping out with some various resources that will be trickling down soon. So again, this is your social responsibility to stay at home when you feel sick, Heed the advice of the professionals when we're please asking you to stay home. We just need people to do their part so that we can do what we can in the hospitals to help those that are the sickest. And by working together, I really feel that we can get ahead of this and we can keep our population safe and healthy. I really think this is such a great opportunity to step up and do our collective part and really help each other as a humanity globally, locally here in California and in the Bay Area. We're on lockdown as of midnight and shelter in place, which, you know, sounds really scary. But to be honest, when you hear that, Dr. Overham, I'm wondering what your thoughts are, because when I hear it, I actually I was waiting for more aggressive action to take place because. I don't want my loved ones and anybody else to really be impacted by this because there's other people continuing to come into the hospital. I mean, me personally, having lost two family members already, I can't even imagine having to think about how this virus could affect them. So this is very personal. I know this is very personal to you, too, and which is why we're putting this out there immediately to the public and using your experiences to really inform people. Is there any last bit of advice or information the public should know about what you are seeing, what you're experiencing um, that would be helpful for us and how this is such a great time that we can understand that we're all, we matter, like each person matters in what they do today uh, and it will affect the entire community. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing for us is, you know, we, we're seeing the, the sickest people in the hospital. So at least from that end, we know that people are listening and really not coming into the emergency department for things that aren't emergent. So that is actually a huge relief. And, you know, I, I just want to say, just be mindful of the people around you. You know, if you're a young person that's healthy and you have neighbors or family members that are older that have chronic diseases that are disabled in some way, remember them and offer to help them. You know, those people really shouldn't be leaving their homes and going to the grocery store. So if you can go to the grocery store for them, I think that would be amazing help, you know, and helping out your parents, grandparents, I think that that would go without saying. But, you know, another thing we don't think about is, you know, some people may have loved ones in the hospital already that are dealing with other illnesses. Please don't come visit them in the hospital. And now is not the time to do that. In fact, a lot of hospitals have a no visitor policy at this time. A card or a phone call will go a long way. And, you know, even if you have family members or loved ones in um, nursing homes, don't go visit them right now. And, you know, really just let's keep the social distancing as much as possible. 
you know, no one is going to get hurt if you don't come visit them for a week, but if you call them and know, let them know that you're here and that you're here for them, I think that's the biggest thing. Really, let's just kind of take care of each other and try to do our best for one another and just pray that this will end up dying down soon. Thank you, Dr. Overham. And just a couple more questions. When you hear that things are being canceled and shut down, does that make you feel more hopeful about the direction we're going as a society here in America? I mean, yeah, it does give me hope in the sense that, you know, if people actually listen to it, that we will have a chance to, to beat this. I think that that, I think that things are finally trending in the right direction with this. And the biggest thing for us in the healthcare world is, you know, we always want to have a, a remedy for things. And right now what scientists need is time to have to make a vaccine for this virus and time to ha- make antiviral medications that will help us decrease the severity of the illness. And that will not happen if we're having thousands or millions of, of people infected with this virus because the healthcare system will get overwhelmed and there's going to be lots of deaths that occur as a result. So I, I am just grateful that now things are trending in the right direction if people will just heed the heed the recommendations and the rules, I think that we will be in a much better space. And I know that in the hospitals, people, medical professionals are beginning to run low on supplies. Is there anything that you've been experiencing that leads that to be true? Um, yeah, I mean, we, we definitely have, like I said earlier, a finite amount of supplies. And, you know, we were stocked to have masks for influenza. But this virus really kind of took everyone back. And this is not just a United States issue. It's a worldwide issue. There's just not enough of those masks and gowns and everything that we need to protect ourselves so that we may care for others. One disturbing thing I've been hearing from uh, a lot of colleagues that work in various places and even at my own hospital is visitors coming in will steal masks or they steal hand sanitizer from the hospital to take home with themselves. And really this is just very disturbing to me and absolutely unacceptable because that all of those things need to stay in the hospital so that we may have the protection we need to care for others who are coming in with the most severe of the illnesses. The best thing you can do in the public is if you're sick, you stay home. And if you are exposed, you stay home. These are all kind of very important things for us to keep in mind. And like I said, hand sanitizers are great, but soap and water works just as well, if not better. So there's no reason to be hoarding any of these items. Dr. Rahim, last question. How are you? How is your family? How are you all thinking and preparing for this? How are you talking to your kids about it? People who might be struggling with that information. Really, you're, you're such a rock. You're such a solid, sound board and have been for me and I can only imagine how your patients and colleagues feel around you it's incredible your husband's also a physician and a specialist at the same hospital how are you all doing um yeah you know I think every day that we go to work there's always that thought in the back of our mind like you know I could get infected today but that kind of goes with the territory. Um, It's not just about COVID-19. It's every day that you go to work, there's a risk of exposure. So we're doing what we can. You know, we're um, 
washing our hands. We're we're trying to do everything we can to keep the virus out of the house because, like you said, I have two young children. But when you go to work, you're not really thinking about that. You're you're there to do your job. You're there to help people to the best of your ability, and you try to do it the, the safest way possible. And you know, when you come home to your family, you you try to leave that behind as much as possible because otherwise this job can be very overwhelming. So we really just have to take this day by day. You know, we um, are trying to be as prepared as possible in the hospital with my group, with all the doctors, all the nursing staff, and just trying to to make this work as best as we possibly can with the the resources that we have. And, you know, one other thing I will say is that that self-care is very important and taking time out for yourself, even if it's like five minutes or ten minutes a day to just take a mental break from things, you know, sit down, exercise for a bit, read a book, spend time with your kids, whatever it is that is important to you or helps you to recenter, that's very critical. And that's something that I try to do every day, especially during kind of high stress times such as such as these. You're an incredible human being. God bless you, your family, your kids, and really all the physicians and the healthcare professionals out there on the front line, all the staff um, who are there day in and day out. I mean, it's incredible what you all are doing right now for us. And we can all step up to really be there for each other, um, you all included. And so thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us and I know you're very passionate to get this information out so I appreciate your time um thank you thank you thank you thank you so so much thank you so much